Ezra chapter 7. Starting in, in verse 1. Now after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra the son of Sariah, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shalom, son of Zadok, son of Ah Ahatub, son of Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Merioth, son of Zerahiah, son of Uzziah, son of Bukai, son of Abishua, son of Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the chief priest. This Ezra went up from Babylon. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. And there went up also to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king, some of the people of Israel, some of the priests and Levites, the singers and gatekeepers and the temple servants. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylon. And on the first day of the twelfth month, he came to Jerusalem. For the good hand of his God was on him, for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. After these things, you kind of read that and think, well, after the, the temple was finished and they, and they dedicated it and they celebrated Passover. Then the next thing was Ezra went back to Jerusalem with this second wave, the second group of people. But actually, the, the name of the king kind of, kind of tells us, shows us that it's not immediately after. Do you remember your, your Persian kings from world history way back in the day. <clears throat> Who was the king during the time that they were rebuilding the, the temple? Okay, I'll remind you. It's first, second word in chapter 6. Darius was the king of Persia when they actually finished the, 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 the temple. Cyrus had decreed that they could go back in about 536 B.C. Cyrus was followed by his son uh, Cambyses was king for about eight years and then there was a coup this Egyptian named uh, Gamata was, was, was king for just a few months and then Darius the Great a general in the army but overthrew Gamata and, and became king and, and Darius had, had issued a decree prompted by God sending Haggai and Zechariah to the people uh, to, to, to get them to repent and to begin rebuilding. Darius was king of Persia from 522 to 586. And then a man named Xerxes, we, we, we know him from the book of Ezra, Ahasuerus was king from 486 to 464. And now Artaxerxes... His son became king in 464. So if you were doing the math in, in, in your head when, while, all, while I was saying all of that, about 55, 60 years have passed 
between from the end of chapter 6 to the beginning of chapter 7. So it really is after this, after that, but a long while after that. Several decades, five or six, you know, decades have passed. It says after that, the, in the days of King uh, Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, Ezra. And then he gives, he gives sort of Ezra's pedigree of, of, of who he was. And he's from what line? Well, he's, he's a priest, so he's a Levite. And being a priest means that he descended from Aaron, Moses' brother, that, that the priest came from that line, from, from Aaron. The others that were maybe Moses' son or, or others were, uh, were, were called the Levites, those who served in a, in a different capacity than the priests. And that, that Ezra, the, he's called a priest and a scribe. He's, notice he's skilled in the law of, of Moses and the Lord. He, he's, he, he, he goes up, he decides to go up to Jerusalem. Now, why do they say going up when it's, you know, it's kind of to the west of, of Persia and Babylon? Remember, Jerusalem is built on, on a mountain, up in the mountain. So anytime you went there, you were literally going up. And so they always say, regardless of which direction you're going, you could be coming from, from Syria to the north, and it's that he went up to Jerusalem because he's actually they're going up uphill to Jerusalem. He goes up. Uh, that Artaxerxes is the king of Persia. He, in, in verse 6 he says, The king granted him, Ezra, all that he asked. So this, this Persian king who worships many gods, he's, he's uh, a polytheist, uh, he has one primary god, uh, but he's also sort of a, a pluralist in that, well, there's many gods and let's make sure we try to appease all of them. There are many ways to knowing God. Sound familiar? That, that we today live in a pluralistic society, that it, that it doesn't matter there's, if, it's, if it's Christianity or Judaism or Islam or Hinduism or, or any of these, they're all different ways of, of knowing God is, is, is kind of how our society views it as well. And that's the time that, that Ezra is living. But it says the king gives him all that he asked for. Why? I mean, Ezra, the, the author, the writer of this book sort of testifies right off because the hand of the Lord was on him. So Ezra is getting ready to go back to Jerusalem because the hand of the Lord is on him. God raises up Ezra to go at this particular time to Jerusalem just like he raised up Haggai and Zechariah to come and to preach the word of the Lord when the children of Israel had stopped building the temple for, for so many years. So he says he goes up in the seventh year of Artaxerxes and some of the people with him, priests, Levites, singers, gatekeepers, temple servants. And he came to, the, uh, to Jerusalem in the fifth month 
of the seventh year. So we're about 458 B.C. when he actually goes up uh, that he had left Babylon on the first month. But there again, because the good hand of God was on him, and Ezra had set his heart to study the law, do it, and teach his statutes. So the story he's, he's relating has, has shifted, has jumped ahead 58, well, somewhere 60 years, give, give or take. We're at 515 when the temple was, was finished. Actually, it's closer to 75 or 80 years that, that the temple, that the story has has jumped ahead. Uh, why? Okay, that's not a good question. Think about the three most important things in, in, in Bible study and Bible interpretation, herme hermeneutics. What are the three most important things? And I've told you this, so this is a pop quiz. Three most important things. Okay, uh, we'll, we'll go to the secular side. What are the three most important things in real estate? Location, location, location. Three most important things in Bible study are context, context, context. What is the context of this? When you finish chapter 6, you think the next phrase should be what? And they all lived happily ever after. They've just built the temple and dedicated it and celebrated Passover. But what happens? You know with Israel, they're not going to all live happily ever after. Just like our lives, we get in the way of what God is trying to do so many times by wanting to do things our, our own self. So after they dedicate the temple, things don't go well. Look over in in chapter 9, just to help us with the context and see what, what God has done in raising up Ezra. Okay, chapter 9, verse 1. After these things had been done, and that's, that's the things they do in chapter 8 that, that we'll probably look at next week, all these people that go back. The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites, okay, after these things have been done, the officials approached me. So they've, they've returned to Jerusalem. And, and, and this new group comes in led by Ezra, this, this priest, this scribe, probably well-known. He's got documents from King Artaxerxes. And these, the officials approach him and they, and they say to Ezra, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands with their abominations, from the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Jebusites and the Ammonites and the Moabites and the Egyptians and the Amorites. For they have taken some of their daughters to be wives for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy race has mixed itself with the peoples of the land. And in this faithlessness, the hand of the officials and chief men have been foremost. So, so the people come to Ezra and they say, we have not been faithful. And the worst ones are the, the, the leaders. The, the officials and the chief men have been the worst. They've taken wives for their sons and, 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 and 
husbands for their daughters among these pagan people, and, and our religion is disintegrating. We have incorporated all these ideas of all these Canaanite people. We're kind of back where we started before the captivity, you know. And, and now, how many years have, have gone by since God put it on Cyrus's heart to, to send the people back, 537 B.C.? We're at 550, 80 years, almost a hundred years, approaching a hundred years, have gone by and they're doing the same thing that they did before. Does God abandon them? No, he, just like he raised up Haggai and Zechariah to get them restarted on building the temple, here God raises up Ezra and sends him back. Look who it is that, that, he, that God sent back. He's a priest He's skilled in the law. He's a scribe, one who copies the, the law and, and writes it. In, in these days, the scribe was, this position was sort of just developing within Israel. By the time we get the, to the New Testament, they're the bad guys. That it has disintegrated. What started as a good position, one who knew the law, and copied it so that, that others could read it. It, it, it disintegrates 400 years later. But, it, but at this time, it's, it's someone who is, who is highly esteemed. He's a priest. He's a scribe. He's skilled in the law of Moses. But how did he become that way? Maybe that's not the best way to, to, to put it. He's, he's skilled in the law. He's a priest. Look at verse 10. Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord. Ezra, still living in Persia, had decided he's from that priestly line, that line of of Aaron, he says, I am going to study the law of Moses. Now, did it stop there? And to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. That's kind of a stepping on toes or, or a toe stomper, isn't it? It's like, okay, I'm going to study God's word but I want to leave it at that. I just want to know what it says. But was that Ezra's mentality or, or way of doing things? No, he, he, he reads it, studies it, knows it, writes it, copies it. You know, sometimes when you write things down, you, you retain them better. I mean, just the old-fashioned, write it down, and you're like, well, you didn't write down the right things because you're not retaining Write it down, don't type it, and, and, and I can't cut and paste. I mean, I know how to do it, but it doesn't stick as much as if you write it down. Ezra is copying the law. He knows it, and then he goes and he does it. How many things, and we don't need to list them, but how many things do we know from studying God's Word that we don't do? Okay, that's a private 
question. I don't know if it should be or shouldn't be, really. How many things do we know that we don't do? Is it, is it just one of those situations, again, that's just so interwoven? You know, which came first? God put this on his heart. God led him to do it. God raised up this man who was faithful. God decreed it, but, but Ezra still had the volition, the volition to, to do it, but he, but he performed. So, so it, that, that's an excellent point. The good hand of God was upon him because he was, he was obedient in doing these things that, that God had set before him. So he, he studied the law. He did it. But then what did he do? He taught it. So it's like he, he didn't just keep it to himself. Is, is I don't know, do, do we have a... a a, I don't know if it's temptation, but, but sometimes do we run across situations where it's like, well, I know what needs to happen. I know how someone needs to perceive, but we don't teach. We, how were the Jews supposed to teach? You know, it, it was, yeah, they had uh, the temple, and then during the time of the exile, the synagogue uh, rose up, and there would be teaching situations and reading it, but the fathers were supposed to teach their, their children, you know, when they rose up, when they laid down, when they went by the way. That's kind of like during the day, all the time. You're supposed to teach, not necessarily, okay, let's go read this, you're facing this. No, to teach them to know the words well, the word well enough to situational teaching. You know, son, this is what you're facing. And, and this is what God's word says about it. It's, it's not just Corey teaching the Bible on Sunday mornings or, or me teaching on Sunday mornings. It's, it's, he, he uses that and teaches as he goes through, through his day. So it's, it's an admonition and instructions to us to study the law, study the word of God, and then do it. And if you're doing it, then teach it. And th th that, that all three are, are necessary. Verse 11. This is a copy of the letter that Artaxerxes gave to Ezra the priest, the scribe, a man learned in the matters of the commandments of the, of the Lord and his statutes for Israel. So... Verse 11 through 26, 12 through 26, is the decree. Listen and see if any of this is, is familiar, but also notice, uh, well, just listen. Here's the decree. Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven. Peace. And now I make a decree that any one of the people of Israel or their priests or Levites in my kingdom who freely offers to go to Jerusalem may go with you. 
for you, ha for you are sent by the king and his seven counselors to make inquiries about Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of your God, which is in your hand, and also to carry the silver and gold that the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem, with all the silver and gold that you shall find in the whole province of Babylonia, and with the freewill offering of the people and the priests, vowed bowed willingly for the house of their God that is in Jerusalem. With this money then you shall with all diligence buy bulls and rams and lambs with their grain offerings and their drink offerings and you shall offer them on the altar of the house of your God that is in Jerusalem. Whatever seems good to you and your brothers to do with the rest of the silver and gold you may do according to the will of your God. The vessels that, that have been given you for the service of the house of your God you shall deliver before the God of Jerusalem. And whatever else is required for the house of your God which it falls to you to provide, you may provide it out of the king's treasury. And I, Artaxerxes, the king, make a decree to all the treasures in the province beyond the river. Whatever Ezra, the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven, requires of you, let it be done with all diligence, up to, ten, up to 100 talents of silver, 100 cores of wheat, 100 baths of wine, 100 baths of oil, and salt without prescribing how much. Whatever is decreed by the God of heaven, let it be done in full for the house of God, for the house of the God of heaven, lest his wrath be against the realm of the king and his sons. We also notify you that it shall, be, shall not be lawful to impose tribute, custom, or toll on any one of the priests, the Levites, the singers, the doorkeepers, the temple servants, or other servants in this house of God. And you, Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God that is in your hand, appoint magistrates and judges who may judge all the people in the province beyond the river, all such as know the laws of your God. And those who do not know them you shall teach. Whoever will not obey the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be strictly executed on him, whether for death or for banishment or for confiscation of his goods or for imprisonment. Blessed be the, the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem, and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty officers. I took courage for the hand of the Lord my God was on me, and I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. It concludes, 27 and 28 are, are Ezra's uh, benediction, praise, acknowledgement of, of what God has done. That, that Ezra, from verse 6, seems like he approached the king to ask permission to go back. From chapter 9, I'm, I take it he doesn't know how things are going in Jerusalem. It seems like he's, he's, he's shocked when he finds out that we're doing the same thing we were doing before the exile, but that God had put it on his heart to go back to Jerusalem. And so he approached the king. He may well have been, uh, and, and 
a scribe for the king to some degree. He's certainly a scribe and a priest to, to Israel and for Israel. But that he, that he approached Artaxerxes and said he wanted to go back. God moves the heart of the king. Sound familiar? It's, it's happened over and over and over. Why do we despair over our current situation? It's like, there, there's no hope. Things have never been this bad. It was probably worse for the Israelites when they were taken into captivity. But who was in control over and over and over? We saw God sent Daniel as a teenager with the first group of, of exiles, captives that went back to Babylon and that God raised up Daniel and he was high in, in the court of the Babylonian kings, Nebuchadnezzar. And he even, he even lived into, you know, the first chapter of Daniel, I think says, and, and he continued there until the reign of Cyrus, the, the Persian. But, but we despair I think despairing might not be totally bad or wrong, but I think despairing without praying to the real king of kings and the God of heaven and earth is wrong. That's like, okay, it's hopeless. We can't do anything. Every talk radio show I turn on, it's, it's, it's bad. You know, I mean, we'll be lucky if... if if we survive another week. But if we, if we think that, but we don't pray to him, he who can change it. What does what Ezra say that he, he, he put this thing into the heart of the king? God did that. And he can still change the heart of the king the president, the governor. What are some of the others? I, I didn't forget. The vice president, the speaker of the house, the, you know, on and on and on. The leaders of Grandview. He, God can put it in their heart. He changed the heart of the king. I mean, again, we see that not only did he say, you can go back, but where did they get the means, the money, the things to sacrifice? You can go back and, oh, by the way, here's money. Go buy the bulls and the rams and the sheep and the, and the wheat and everything you need to, to sacrifice. I mean, don't just gloss over that. We saw that in the, in the first return. Yeah, you can go back. but And then he says, and we're going to pay for it. That's a pretty good deal, right? That's like, I don't, I don't know. Okay, you're laid off because of COVID, and all of a sudden they're giving you an extra. How much extra did they give people? 200? 300? I was, I don't know, but I was thinking, man, what do I do? No. <laughs> I mean, I know some people that, you know, got laid off that they were making way more than they were making before. And so it's, you know, and this is veering off, and it's definitely a rabbit, but it's like, okay, so why aren't people going back to work? Well, they were paying them more to not work than they were to, to work. But God put it on the heart of the kings, Darius, to, to, to send them back. 
And did the people jump on it and prosper and do everything they could? No. As soon as they got there, they were discouraged and fearful because of a little bit of opposition. It's, it's only a little bit of opposition when it's somebody else's opposition, like minor surgery. It's minor surgery if it's on somebody else, but if it's on me, I don't care if it's getting rid of a hangnail. It's major surgery. <laughs> but they, 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 they faltered. Their faith was just was not there, even though God had put it on the heart of, of Cyrus and then, and then Darius. Did God forget them? No, he raised up. Haggai and Zechariah. Now he's raised up Ezra to teach them. And he even has the king telling Ezra to do all according to the wisdom of your God that is in your hand. You know, not just yours, but, but, but the king realizes that this wisdom that Ezra has is coming from, from the Lord. And he says... If, no, if people don't want to obey, this is the judgment that's, that's coming on them. And then Ezra concludes this, you know, this, it's kind of a summary, a prelude to, to what's going to happen as they go back, chapter 7. And, he's, and he, off, pretty much right off the bat, he says, And blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put this in, into the heart of the king, that he praises God for what's happened. And he says that he took courage because the hand of the, of the Lord was on me. And he began gathering men then to go back. What can we glean from this? What, what does this teach us about God? I mean, do we need... it? I learn by repetition and sometimes unlimited repetition. You finally, you finally learn something, but that who is in control? God is in control. When did he send Ezra back? At the perfect time. He's moved the heart of the king. The people are ready to, to repent. When we get to chapter 9, we're going to see Ezra. They come and they tell him, this is what's going on. He tears his cloak. Um, he, he pulls hair out of his head, pulls uh, part of his beard out. I mean, he's, he is in mourning. He says he sat appalled until the time of the evening sacrifice. And then they come to him, and God moves the heart of the people to repent. He sent Ezra at the, at the perfect time. We learn that God's in control. He has perfect timing and that he raises up people to do his work. It's, it's real easy to look at the next generation. Or, and that might be being generous to us. It might be like two generations behind us. You know, the, the ones that are just now graduating college, and like we want to say, oh, it's the next generation. Well, there's been several, you know, generations between us and them, if you get, catch what I'm saying. Not that we're old, but that, you know, those, the generations, they just come faster than they used to. But it's easy to look around and say, those millennials, they, they don't do this, they don't do that. But God will raise up his, his, his people. Look at all the ones that 
have served and are serving in, in the military. But he's going to raise up Christian young people also to be his light to the world. You know, when, when the, the oh, Botham John was tragically killed and they had the, just the whole thing of the, the trial and, 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 and those events, and I know the media just had to hate it at the very end when his brother stood there. And, I mean, it was a testimony to Jesus Christ what he did. And he said, I, I forgive you, and can I hug you? And I mean, it's like there's a young person right there who knows the gospel and the full meaning of being a follower of, of Christ. And so maybe we see, you know, the glass half full. But, but with God, the glass is always full. He raises up those that he needs to accomplish his purpose. I said he needs. He doesn't really need them, but that he chooses to use, that he, he chooses to use his children to, to accomplish his purpose. So we, so we see, again, the sovereignty of God, how he has perfect timing. He doesn't send Ezra back and, and, until the work is there. And then he also raised up those to help Ezra. said, any whose heart desired to go, whose spirit that was, was willing that God raised, raised him up. And I think we're, we, we kind of learned from, from Ezra, he doesn't want to proceed with the story until he, he inserts this thankful acknowledgement and praise of God there in verses 27 and 28. We, we probably forget to do that. Okay, probably is not the best word. How many times do we forget to, to acknowledge and, and, and thankfully praise God for, for what he's, he's doing and, and, and done and, and, his, and his goodness? It's like the joy that they had when they rebuilt the temple you know, that they worshiped joyfully. And, and, we, and we talked about, you know, what is the fruit, singular, of the Spirit. And if it's the fruit of the Spirit, then do we produce that ourselves? You know, love, peace, joy that, that, that God gave them. Uh, God gave them joy. And here they, Ezra praises God and, and makes it very clear. The reason all of this happened was the good hand of the Lord was upon me. Okay, we still have like five minutes, two minutes, one minute. What, what, what do you see? What did I miss? That's probably not enough time to, to cover it. But, but what do you glean or what do you see in, in this next part of, of Ezra. John. It's, it's uh, comforting to me that he uses uh, a secular king and in the, in the reading the king keeps saying your God calls him the God of heaven calls him the God of Jerusalem and he says your God, your God over and over and 
when you get to Ezra, all of a sudden it's our God and my God and the personal relationship. It's very comforting. It's and it's <clears throat> it's really maybe it should be a slap in the face of thinking, well, God's not going to use what whoever is the president or the governor. You know, because there's some that are totally happy. There's some that were happy before. I mean, but that it's God can't, does use, you know, a secular leader to, to bring about his purpose. Yeah. Now that's borderline way over my head how that works. You know, like how does God take something people mean for evil and make it good? It's but he does. So that he can use that. It's like the COVID-19. I mean, I I've kind of thought from the beginning not that this is a great thought but that, you know, this should be a spiritual stimulus to all believers to, you know, to pray and, and, and to repent. You know, why is this happening? And that God uses secular leaders and also the, the events. And here Israel has stumbled again, and God doesn't give up on them. I mean, that's good news for me and probably you too, that God does just, you know, when we stumble, that God doesn't just throw us away. Like, you know, I don't golf, but, you know, you, you see these videos and people, it's like, okay, you hit a bad shot, and then somebody just bends a golf club and ties it in a bow. It's like, it, it wasn't the club. Well, maybe it was, you know. Or how many are in the bottom of lakes and golf courses. You know, God doesn't do that to us. We'll look at chapter 8 next week. It's, it's, it's interesting. Um, if, if you read ahead, before they go, you know, it says they started in the, uh, on the first day of the fifth month. Okay, I'm going to get it wrong. First day of the first month they start. But they actually don't pitch up the wagons until the 12th day. So read chapter 8 and see why they wait. And then chapter 9 kind of tells you what happened when they got back. It's, it's the overall context. It's really, it, I, I find it fascinating just and, and kind of fun. And look, look at what's happening. Um, so, so if you get a chance, read it and see what they do before they they go. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and God, we just thank you for being who you are, the God of heaven and earth, but our God, the only true God, but that while you were 
omniscient, omnipotent, all-knowing, everlasting, that you allow us to call you Father, that you've adopted us as your sons and daughters. God, just give us uh, time to reflect and consider how wonderful that is, that we're children of the King of Kings. And God, may we just go and, 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 and be like Ezra to study your word, to do it, and then to teach it to others. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Okay. Yes, sir. Uh,